and salutations, everybody, and welcome back. This is the Northern Miner Podcast, and I am your host, Matthew Keevil, uh, coming to you the week of September 5th. So fresh off the Labor Day long weekend, uh, as we say, the last proverbial kick at the can for summer, uh, kids going back to school and all that kind of fun stuff. I always remember those freaking back-to-school commercials when I was like in grade school and you'd be like no the binder commercials no that's when you know it's the party is over it is time to return to books uh so yeah so as mentioned last week Leslie uh is uh remains on an awesome sounding vacation uh, kayak vacation in BC so she's uh she'll be back next week um but uh once again uh you have a nice intimate uh intimate podcast with Matt um but uh, yeah I also have uh actually a, uh, a good guest this week too. So I have a little bit of fun coming up for us. Um, but before we get to that, a little bit of a roundup of the show. Uh, some of the bigger news last week we'll talk about. Uh, people probably heard if you uh, about the Potash Corp Agrium merger talks. Those broke. I think Bloomberg broke them midweek. Uh, it prompted a response from Brad Wall, the Premier of Saskatchewan, um, and surprised some analysts. So we'll do a little bit of a breakdown on what that could mean, uh, what people are saying about a possible uh, Potash Corp Agrium merger. Um, we, as we all know, uh, fertilizer markets are brutal. Um, I, I often say it's like <laughs> mono a mono, which is worse uranium right now or potash so, <laughs> or fertilizer so it, it, we'll talk a little bit about that um, I also had a chance to sit down with management from West Dome Gold Mines um, and they might have cl- uh, come across your ticker last week a their stock went a little bit buck wild so it might have been on your highest uh, gainers list and B uh, they made a uh, a, a really interesting looking discovery at their uh, Kiana complex was they shut down in 2013 due to high costs, low gold prices. Same story we heard uh, many times uh, during that period. Uh, but now they, they've been doing some drilling there and cut some pretty interesting looking intercepts that uh, mm, we'll see. Uh, this could set the stage for uh, a bit of a revival at the Kiana, oper- Kiana operation in Valdor. Uh, so I had a chance to sit down and chat uh, with Vice President exploration George Maynard and uh, newly named CEO Duncan Middlemiss, who people may remember from St. Andrew Goldfields, which was acquired by Kirkland Lake Gold earlier this year. So we'll dig into a little bit of the uh, discovery at the Kiana Complex uh, by Weststone Gold Mines. We'll talk about um, Potash Corp and Agrium a little bit. Um, and, but first, without uh, without uh, pausing too much, we'll, we'll run through our, our macro a little bit, but I do have a special guest to uh who talks macro a little bit with me. So we talk about copper, gold markets, uh, investment theses and stuff like that. So uh, just quickly to run through this, uh, gold did bounce back. We talked a little bit last week about how gold was kind of tailing off a little bit heading into late August uh, following the meeting in the Federal Reserve in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when they said, oh, we're looking at interest rate hikes as early as next month, which would be September. Uh, And then people were like, oh gosh, it's back on the table and there's definitely going to be at least one by the end of the year. Uh, So obviously that tailed off gold. But leading into the end of the week, right into Labor Day, uh, the U.S. uh, jobs report came out and sort of disappointed everybody. So um, gold futures popped higher on Friday uh, after the U.S. reported uh, non-farm payrolls rose by 151,000 jobs in August, which sort of scaled back market expectations. uh, And then obviously then people are like, well, are they going to do a rate hike? Does that eliminate the potential of a near-term rate hike, etc.? So I know a lot of people that say probably by December you will see one in the U.S. Um, So that's sort of where you know, the common uh, thought process is right now. Um, It seems unlikely we'll see one in the next, you know, 
three to four weeks, but you never know. So we'll, we'll pay attention to this. Um, the Fed has been has been making a lot of hawkish comments on this. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll just run through metal prices really quick to ground ourselves so we have some uh, sort of our baseline for the weekly conversation. Uh, gold closed the week at about 13.30 and 70 cents an ounce. Silver, $19.61 per ounce, so relatively unchanged. Copper also relatively unchanged, $2.08 per pound. And West Texas Intermediate, $45.17 per barrel. So relatively unchanged, uh, largely, except for gold had a little bit of a bounce back late week. Um, so yeah, without further ado, uh, I had a chance um, uh, to uh, bring in friend of the program again, Mickey Fulp, the uh, mercenary geologist. Uh, Mickey does a lot of uh, cool stuff, works out of the U.S. Well, about half the year. So he's uh, recently, as we'll hear on the uh, the uh, little interview we did here, um, returned back to uh, to his home base, which is uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, but uh, Mickey uh, Skyped in with us. We've got our new kind of Skype uh, capabilities now, so we get some uh, really good high-quality uh, audio from a distance. So now we can have people sort of call in from, uh, from all over the place, and uh, I'll have a chat with them, and we can do some uh, really cool interview stuff. Um, people, really good feedback last week on the uh, interviews with Clive Johnson from B2 Gold and Rob McLeod from IDM Mining. Those went over really well. So thank you again for all your feedback. Those are really fun to do, and we will be continuing to do that. So I'll be looking for more CEOs and management to talk to, maybe get some sound clips and stuff like that, uh, and move towards video. Um, but for now... Let's chime right in here with Mickey, uh, Mickey Falp again, the mercenary geologist. Um, I'll run this audio. We uh, have about a 15-minute chat just about uh, macro conditions, uh, what his views on are in terms of copper, gold, etc., and where what he's looking at in terms of investments right now. Like He writes an investment newsletter, so when he's making recommendations, I sort of ask him, well, what are you recommending right now? So there's some interesting questions here, and uh, we kind of go back and forth a little bit. It's a good conversation, so I'll run that now, and I will see you, uh, you guys on the other side. We are uh, lucky again this week. I am joined by the friend of the program, Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, who's joining us today, actually, uh, a, well, not abroad, I guess you're home, right, Mickey? Yes, I'm at the farm uh, south of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, Mickey, uh, you know what, I want to start with you, just, uh, we've seen that volatility in gold uh, in the last week because of the um, the Federal Reserve comments in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, we had the U.S. jobs report today, which was actually a little bit disappointing, I gathered, uh, compared to expectation. But I just wanted to get a little bit of um, a sense from you on gold. Uh, we're at about $1,326 an ounce today. I think it was as low as about 1300 almost a couple days ago. Um, so maybe a little... Um, insight on on where you see bullion and and what's sort of going on down in the u.s with the economy and uh the federal open market committee there yeah well i think your take is correct in the fact that over the last month or so we've seen some weakness in gold uh but it's bounced up and down it's very much range bound uh i think it actually hit 1305 intraday uh within the last week it's rallied over the essentially this morning, it was stronger yesterday, it's uh, over the last, uh, what, couple of weeks, its range closes from 1309 to 1352, and it got knocked down uh, on speculation about the rise in interest rates, which personally I don't think is going to happen until after the election, Uh, and then it rallied today on a less than lustery U.S. jobs data report, or less than expected. Where it goes in the future, I'm not really sure. It looks pretty happy being range-bound here. 
I'm looking at my weekly board and since basically mid-September, it's been range bound in that 1300 to 1365 range seem to be able to get out of that yeah i know exactly and it's interesting I, I mean i saw you know the opinions on the on this interest rate thing are all over the place i mean i saw bill gross who people might know from pacific investment come out in bloomberg today and say oh there's i'm 100 like i'm pretty sure there's going to be an interest rate in in october or november now and then you have people say oh there's a 57 percent chance i i love those those percentages yeah. analysts put out like a percentage chance on an interest rate hike. It's like, <laughs> what is that based on? But uh, they said in Dece by December. So I think it's interesting that you say you don't think it's going to come through at least until the election, right? Which is. Yeah, I don't, you know, Yellen wants to keep her job. So uh, she's not going to do anything. I, I think the federal policy right now is trying to maintain the status quo through the election. Um I've kind of gone on record in the recent past saying I don't think there's going to be an interest rate rise. Um, well, let's let's assume that it wouldn't happen until after the election. Do you think they're going to do one in in the middle of December and middle of at the end of shopping season? I doubt it. Then we have a newly elected president in waiting uh, in mid January, so it would be my opinion that we won't see a rise before February. But if if we do, it's a quarter percent rise. <laughs> Raise it. And that doesn't mean anything. You know, it's... Uh, it could affect your gold stocks, though. Oh, absolutely. And that's where I was kind of heading here. So, so we also track the Toronto Venture Exchange on a weekly basis. And it's been quite interesting over, what, the last couple of months. We had... From I'm looking at the board right now. From July one until uh, basically last week, we had a one, two, three, four, an eight-week run of 52-week highs. Now that does not directly correlate with gold stocks, but the venture exchange is really driven by gold, and and it's backed off over the last couple of weeks. Well, lo and behold, what is that back off uh, correlated with? It's the it's the price of gold. Gold's Gold's been off the last couple of weeks for the most part. So, so that uh, when we look at gold stocks going forward, uh, you know, we're in the summer doldrums. This week, last week, the week before have been very low volatility, low volumes in the markets, even the major markets, although they've been setting yearly highs, they're a point or two. So, uh, what's going to happen next week when everybody comes back to work? Uh, I don't have a strong prediction, but I would, I, I've been hoping for a correction in the Toronto Venture Exchange because I think the gold stocks have been very much overbought. Uh, what we had uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks is a 7% decline in the Venture Exchange Index, and that does really not constitute a correction. And it correlates exactly with the price of gold if you go in and look. So, 
Oh, yeah, he's got that chart. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Mickey, I mean, uh, you mentioned it a little bit. I, I mean, when you look at value opportunity, I mean, uh, this is, uh, we were here with Mickey Fault, the mercenary geologist, has a great newsletter I recommend everyone check out. Um, but uh, when you're making recommendations these days, what are you sort of telling people uh, who read your newsletter and who look to you for advice on what they should be doing in terms of, let's say, precious metals? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm I'm proceeding cautiously. Um, gold stocks, uh, with the exception of the startups and a few relatively unknown or unloved or unwanted, what I consider good stories, uh, valuations are, are, are too high to me right now. Okay. So from that point of view, I think you need to tread cautiously. Um, there are opportunities. I think the opportunities that present themselves uh, at the present time are the trickle-down effect to uh, some perhaps lower-level or less advanced juniors. And but, man, I have to say that presumes that we that the bull market in commodities or the bull market in commodities led by gold and the venture exchange following on to the back of that. Uh, this presumes this is going to continue, and I really think it's going to be driven by the price of gold. And I don't have a strong opinion or feeling what price gold's going to do. So tread cautiously, um, pick, be a contrarian, pick things that are unknown, unloved, unwanted, and undervalued, and, and realize that this is a risky business. One of the indications that the market has changed significantly is that good drill results are being rewarded now. And we haven't really seen that for two or three years where, you know, and there are some good projects out there. And so that's probably would be my sweet, a general sweet spot in the market right now. Um, and then Mickey, the other thing, uh, I wanted to kind of sort of dig into is, um, I remember we sat down, uh, at the Yukon investment conference this was back in mid July. Um, and you, one of the things you mentioned was it might've been a time to start looking at copper. And you said you were sort of looking at some, un, maybe some undervalued copper plays. I mean, copper was that I, well, it's been in the same, same as gold, same bracket for maybe six months or something, right. Between about two 205 and 220 um a pound and and so i was wondering uh it, it, there's been a lot of macro information coming out on copper recently that indicates there might be more of an oversupply condition than people previously thought so i'm just wondering if your investment thesis on on copper as a macro commodity has changed at all uh generally matt my views of copper do not change uh in on short-term time basis now uh my predictions of copper price uh, can change in the short term. Uh, but the thesis I operate under and have for quite some time is uh, the consumption of copper grows annually 3 to 4% a year, and it has since 1900. Demand continues to increase. There's 85 million more people on the planet every year, and 25% of the world still goes to bed in the dark and gets up when you get light in the morning. And you need copper to tr transmit electricity 
Um, so from that point of view, I remain a mid to long-term bull on copper. The thing about being a contrarian, as you well know, is you have to have patience. So, uh, you know, it, it would be something on the order of looking at gold when it hit its bottom uh, of whatever it was, 1050 or something, and wondering when that was going to turn. Now, we were all surprised how quickly it turned. I don't think copper is going to turn that quickly, but the fact remains the world needs copper, and we're not finding enough copper deposits that are developable and with good economics. So from that point of view, not really, hasn't really changed. So you're still sort of on the lookout for some some nice sort of long-term hold copper assets if you can find them? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at some things smart, the smart money is doing on the Toronto Venture Exchange, uh, there's a couple of what of copper uh, accumulators out there that are picking up good copper pro- projects. And I think that is an indication of some of the longer term views on copper. You know, there's a lot of misinformation, uh, uh, even amongst analysts and people that that follow the copper market as to supply demand. You know, it's probably one of the most transparent commodities. But that said, there's a there's a veil of opaqueness that still uh, kind of permeates the entire commodity space. And the narrative too, right? How people sort of <laughs> what you read. Like, like I mentioned at the onset, I've, I've a few analysts and some of the let's say Bloomberg articles and things have portrayed this super oversupply of copper that's coming up, where it's, it's it could go. I, I know some let's not call them crazy people, but let's some outliers who think copper could go to a buck fifty a pound, which is just seems ridiculous to me. But yeah. Well, it does to me too. I mean, you know, when it went to a buck ninety-six a pound, and I'm pretty sure that was on January twentieth of this year, um, I immediately called bottom. I immediately called bottom of of uh, WTI West Texas Intermediate Crude at twenty-six and twenty-six sixty-seven or whatever. You see these outliers on prices, and you say, "Well, the the." the cost of production worldwide will not sustain that price very long because it's going to result in supply disruption. And the thing about both copper and oil is the world continues. We may have surpluses right now, but demand continues to be strong worldwide. And it's just a matter of time before demand catches up with supply. Just to wrap up here, Mickey, I don't want to, don't want to keep you too long. I know it's, uh, it's Labor Day weekend. We're all ready to get out of the office here, right? So uh, uh, I just wanted to say, one of the other things I wanted to touch on that you'd mentioned previously with one of our, our sit-downs, I think it was at the UConn uh, Investment Conference again, was that uh, one of the, uh, and you sort of touched on it earlier, was one of the uh, things you really like is sort of looking at uh, shells and like earlier stage investments as far as uh, this this stage of the market. And I'm wondering, um, when, when you're out there, uh, obviously not mentioning any, some, anything specific, but uh, trend-wise, are you seeing more stuff start out from, let's say, the qualifying transaction stage at this time? Do you, have you seen more deal flow kind of uh, mo- moving into September here? Or? Uh, personally, I've not. Oh. Uh, personally, I've not seen any more. I, I know of some stuff pending that I think perhaps will 
uh, attract market attention. Uh, but to tell you the truth, Matt, uh, I am at this stage having a relatively hard time of, of finding good stories that I consider to be unknown, unloved, undervalued, et cetera. So uh, that's probably one of the reasons I've migrated toward uh, startups. Um, and the thing with startups, you want to associate yourself with the right people. So um, yeah. uh, who have the ability and the right share structure and the ability to raise money for the proper or, or for acquisitions that will attract the attention of the market. One thing I think, and I'll use an analogy with, say, uh, 2002 to early 2002 to, to mid-2003, um, and even into 2004, there were a lot of majors that were shedding projects that didn't, that they considered it not to be core assets. So if past is prologue, then that might be a spot you want to look at are, are companies that are going to acquire uh, projects that the majors shed. Yeah. Well, Mickey, uh, I, I would like to thank you again for joining us. This has been Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, a ongoing friend of the Northern Miner podcast. Um, so thanks again, Mickey, for joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, I consider myself lucky to have this uh, working relationship with a northern miner, Matt, and uh, I'm always available, and I find talking to you in the public venue to be at least refreshing, and, uh, and it makes me think, so that's always good. Yeah, always good, and, and Mickey, have a great Labor Day weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot, Matt. And welcome back. So yeah, it's always fun to uh, talk to Mickey and beneficial. Uh, being from the U.S., he has good insights on uh, the job market down there, sort of what the Fed's doing, some of the interest rate and election stuff. It's always cool to uh, to get some insight from somebody who lives uh, lives in the country. So um, yeah, gold uh, gold does appear to be range bound, and we were popping back up uh, heading into uh, into September here. Uh, was low, uh, like we said during the interview there, it, it hit near 1300. Um, then later in the week rallied towards 1330 and we're looking like we're going upwards, uh, heading into this week. Um, but again, uh, we'll watch that range bound that Mickey mentioned of upwards of our 1350. Uh, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, should be interesting for, uh, for us, uh, gold investors out there. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, now, the other thing I wanted to uh, quickly dig into here was the Potash Corp Agrium merger talk, uh, which broke, I think Bloomberg broke this uh, early last week, uh, maybe Tuesday. Um, this uh, sort of caused a few waves, given that these are two very large uh, Canadian-based companies. Obviously, Potash Corp is based in Saskatoon, while Agrium is based in Calgary. Um, so, uh, yeah, this broke, uh, prompted uh, a response from <clears throat> excuse me, Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall, uh, who just said they'd be monitoring, obviously, the tax situation and uh, the interests of Saskatchewan. Uh, one of the things that did come up, obviously, is uh, people will recall uh, back in, uh, I think it was late 2010, um, the Canadian government did 
nix uh, or, or or reject essentially uh, BHP Billiton's uh, large-scale attempted takeover of Potash, a Potash Corp. And that was under the Investment Act of Canada after uh, Tony Clement, then the Canadian Minister of Industry, uh, determined it was not in the net benefit of Canada. Uh, so interestingly enough, there has been some buzz about, uh, obviously these Potash Corp agrium talks are very early stage, uh, but there's been some co- uh, discussion on regulations and, and how it will work into competition and things like that. Uh, given these are two Canadian companies, uh, some of the analyst reports I've read have speculated it won't be uh, quite as much of an issue as the BHP takeover was. So it'll be interesting to uh, to follow this along. Um, obviously, uh, this was somebody broke this, and then both Agrium and Potash Corp had to come on and say, "Yeah, we we've we've sat down a little bit." Um, and then uh, I have some interesting analyst uh, observations on it. Um, uh, Raymond James analyst Steve Hansen uh, was a little perplexed by the uh, proposed marriage, as he put it, um, though he did cite ripe uh, cost synergies where the companies combined could save about $500 million annually. Um, and uh, also noted that Potash Corp's obviously been looking at large-scale M&A for a little while now. Uh, people will remember last year they attempted to uh, take over Germany's KNS, another large fertilizer player. Um, and they also took a 9.5% stake in Brazil's Herringer last year. So Potash Corp's been on the lookout. Um, but Steve Hansen from Raymond James also noted he wouldn't be surprised if Agrium kickstarted these talks. Um, they are a uh, largely retail-centric, whereas Potash Corp's more on the uh, the production and mining side. Um, so there could be some interesting synergies there. Um, and then Scotiabank senior fertilizers analyst Ben Isaacson said uh, he thinks maybe this deal was leaked to gouge market opinion on whether this could actually fly. Uh, so maybe get some feedback from uh, shareholders on either side, etc., um, and he also said he wouldn't be surprised if Agrium initiated negotiations. He did note that this could eventually be viewed as a quote-unquote brilliant bottom-of-the-cycle move by Agrium to secure out-of-favor assets, trading at roughly 30% below replacement cost. So an interesting one. This is uh, big news for Canada, obviously. Uh, these are two major Canadian companies. Uh, combined market capitalization approaching near $40 billion Canadian. So uh, interesting stuff. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. Obviously, very early days. Um but we just wanted to uh, touch base on that because that's been sort of buzzing around on the newswire. So an interesting one. Uh, that's some potentially large-scale M&A, as we noted, uh, or as I note on a, on a fairly regular basis. Fertilizer markets are, are relatively terrible. Uh, we always say it's mono a mono, which is worse right now, uranium or, or spot potash. Uh, because right now, uh, if you look at Potash Corp's... Um, well, it was our second quarters. Uh, re- they reported an average realized potash price of $154 per ton. Now, just to put that into perspective, that's a 44% year-on-year drop. Uh, during the second quarter of 2015, they reported uh, realized prices of about US $273 per ton of potash. So a steep drop there. So it's it's tough times, but an interesting uh, could be an interesting merger of relative equals there on a market capital basis. So uh, something to keep your eyes on moving forward. And a quick shout out to our loyal sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. Thank you so much for coming on the <laughs> Northern Podcast journey with us. Uh, always a lot of exciting stuff going on in the Yukon. Please do check it out. Uh, surf over to the Yukon Mining Alliance website. You can check out uh, a number of promising looking companies. Uh, a lot of nice looking gold plays up there right now. So uh, we all recall the uh, Gold Corp deal for Kamenak. Uh, a lot of interesting uh, drill programs actually going on up there right now. Uh, you can check out Independence Gold, which Gold Corp took a little bit of a slice in. 
Jackson uh, earlier this year uh, due to its contiguous property to the coffee project. Also, uh, another uh, nice little uh, snippet of news out of the Yukon, uh, Victoria Gold uh, recently completed a 28.7, so nearly $30 million bought deal financing. So Victoria Gold has the Dublin Gulch project outside of Mayo, which hosts the Eagle Deposit, which is pretty much shovel ready. They have all their permits. Uh, they've been on a bit of a, a fundraising run this year. Uh, in uh, late April, they announced a $24 million uh, strategic investment by Electrum Strategic Opportunities and Sun Valley Gold. They've now raised another uh, nearly $30 million. So it'll be interesting to see... Uh, where they're going to go uh, with the uh, bulk of the project financing. I know that's uh, something I've spoken with President and CEO John McConnell about uh, fairly regularly. So it's uh, looking quite positive for Victoria. Uh, that deal was, I believe, oversubscribed as well. So looking pretty good there. So we'll pay attention to them as they move forward. They're definitely not uh, not lacking in capital at this point in time. So uh, we'll see what's happening up there with Victoria. Always a nice looking company. Uh, probably one of the uh, more near-term uh, production targets uh, for the Yukon as well, um, alongside, obviously, coffee now with uh, Gold Corp's involvement. So uh, it's going to be interesting up there. Uh, so do please uh, take a look at the Yukon and uh, thank you again to our loyal sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. And just to wrap up here this week, I wanted to quickly touch on uh, West Dome Gold Mines, which uh, has been, if anyone's uh, <laughs> caught the uh, market tables recently, uh, West Dome was one of the uh, major gainers. You probably saw uh, both on volume and uh, percentage and raw raw value add. Uh, they went on a, a big run after announcing some new results uh, from the Kiana Gold Complex in Val d'Or, Quebec, uh, I think around August 24th. Now, this is a mine that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, has been shuttered since 2013. Uh, uh, an underground mine uh, due to like just general cost pressures, falling uh, gold prices, obviously lower grades, etc. Um, the uh, it was uh, so, sort of a long well, it was a long-standing operation. It ran since 1981 um, and produced about just over 1.7 million ounces gold at about an average grade of four and a half grams. So uh, it's been it's fully permitted op, uh, site. So it's got a 900 meter production shaft and 2,000 ton per day capacity mill. So that obviously makes any sort of uh, discovery more exciting because the critical mass needed to restart this thing isn't quite as quite as high due to the fact that a lot of the infrastructure, both surface and underground, is already on site. So uh, anything they find there, uh, the increments necessary to get this thing back in production are obviously lower. Um, so what they did, uh, I, I had a ch uh, as mentioned, had a chance to sit down and talk uh, with Vice President. President Exploration George Maynard and with uh, new CEO Duncan Middlemas. Um, and what they had done is uh, uh, George, the VPX there, uh, he's, he's, he said straight up, I, he says, I'd say this property is one of the best brownfield gold exploration assets on the planet. Um, so what they've been doing is uh, the bulk of the historic um, production came from something called the S50 zone. So they're looking for analogs of the S50 zone. Um, and basically they were just looking... Uh, they'd been chasing a long structure but they turned the drills around apparently according to george and hit something pretty impressive looking so what they did was uh two drills were testing for uh, as mentioned a repetition of the s50 zone along a z-fold interpretation 200 meters to 300 sorry 300 meters below existing mine infrastructure at a depth of around 1200 meters so uh the company west dome has identified at least two quartz veins and quartz vein breccia systems near altered and deformed comatite theoletic basalt contacts oh my gosh that was a mouthful um and these results the great the thing that stands out here is the grade clearly um and uh it's significantly above historic head grade averages which is it's is a big I, when i was talking to duncan and them uh they they made a big point this is like they never expected 
degrade like this is just wild. Um, George actually said, uh, George made on the VPX. He's like, I was on vacation and it's just driving me nuts. I need to get back in the office. But uh, so what the results they released were uh, 17.4 meters of 94.35 grams gold from 491 meters depth. Um, and then also 14.25 meters of 223 grams gold from 690 meters depth and 8.2 meters of 8.43 grams gold so a bit lower and still not low like it's but it's not the, that freaking bonanza like 200 gram per ton <laughs> intercept suit like drove the stock a little bit bo uh, bonkers so they so obviously everybody was pretty excited and they said well duncan uh, the ceo was like oh this is definitely uh jumped up in our uh, our priority ranks now they're they'll look to give uh maybe a little bit more um resources towards exploring Kiana now that they've found what they hope is a is a has tonnage as well so more of an analog to that s50 except higher grade right it would be absolutely ideal um so the company was up like following the results like over 70 percent so they 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 gained well over a dollar uh they're trading at about 275 per share at press time so uh, a big uh, big surge it's nice to see uh as mickey said during his segment earlier that uh, success with the drill bit is now being significantly rewarded on market. So that's always nice to see. We uh, we hope that continues heading into fall. Here is uh, a lot. We're expecting quite a few uh, few results from from a variety of drill programs across Canada and internationally. So it'll be nice to see some of these companies and management teams getting rewarded for their efforts now that uh, the market's changed. Well, in terms of gold, anyway, I can't say anything for <laughs> for base metals outside of zinc. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's nice to see. So uh, take a look at the. West Dome story. Um, obviously, it's uh, <laughs> the valuations getting up there, so they've uh, they've definitely been rewarded for this intercept as they should be because that's some some darn impressive grade. Um, and so, uh, yeah, take a look and uh, new management just coming in there. So in interesting to see what Duncan and his team uh, gets up to there. Um, there has been a little, there had been a little buzz around West Dome prior to this happening because their valuation obviously went crazy. But uh, about potential M and A, maybe they were going to get taken out, etc. The company currently operates. Um, a production center in the Wawa camp in Ontario. Um, so they were, it's a, it's a small operations currently, uh, the Eagle River and Mishi mines. Um, it's sort of in central Ontario. They produced around 12,000 ounces during the second quarter at all in sustaining costs on a production basis of around $1,300 per ounce. So this could be a big uh, game changer for West Dome. Uh, new management coming in could be exciting. So please do take a look at the company. Uh, that just came across my desk. And also, I'm sure anyone who, who follows the market table saw their stock go go through the roof there uh, early last week. So interesting to see. Um, so yeah, that pretty much wraps up our episode for this week. Uh, we do thank you again for joining us at the Northern Miner Podcast. We do appreciate it. Um, and I uh, hope you had a great Labor Day long weekend and we're easing here into September. So uh, this has been Matt Keevil at the Northern Miner and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.